Welcome to the 44th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will talk about Major League Baseball results, sift through some interesting news in the world of baseball, and predict who will win each playoff series in the NBA. Let's jump right in with a look at Major League Baseball, starting as we always do with the National League West. Patrick? Well, this division, I I thought the Dodgers were going to come out. uh, I saw what happened with Gavin Lux's home run. I think I actually might have talked about this last podcast because it was probably a while ago at this point uh, at the beginning of their homestand, which was a nine-game homestand. So, yes, probably sometime during last week, I believe last last Wednesday. Uh, But that game happened, and I thought the Dodgers had a bunch of momentum, and I had predicted that they were going to carry it forward throughout the rest of the season. Not necessarily throughout the rest of the season, but at least for a good few weeks. And I was assuming that, hey, maybe the Giants lose a game or two to the Reds, and all of a sudden you have the Dodgers in first place. But instead, uh, the last week, San Francisco was 23-14 and 14 at the top. San Diego was 21-17. and 17. LA was 20-17, and 17, and we'll ignore the other teams for now. Uh, this week, San Francisco is 28-16, and 16, so they went 5-2. San Diego is 27-17, and 17, so they went 6-0. and 0. LA is 26 and 18 and they were 6 and 1 this week and then Arizona went 1 and 6 because they got swept by the Dodgers and Colorado went 1 and 5 being swept by the Padres twice. Uh basically what I'm trying to say here is each of these teams probably thought we played so well this week we're about to start running away with the division and none of them have come out easily on top of the others. Um San Francisco is still within two games of the Do- or the Dodgers are still within two games of San Francisco. San Diego is right in between one back of San Francisco. And really, I mean, San Diego goes 6-0, and and they're like, "What? we're not first? We were one game back, and we're still not first? What What? what, what more should we do? Uh, really, there's nothing more they can do. Uh, for At least for the Dodgers, uh, long-term, uh, the injuries are still an issue, although Cody Bellinger and Zach McKinstry, I believe, are set to do their own uh, rehab assignment in the minor leagues, I believe, in AAA this week, this upcoming week, which means that they should be rejoining the team uh, maybe a week and a half, two weeks out. Uh, Corey Seager is still injured. No real timetable yet on that injury. Well, still injured. He got injured this week. Yes. No no, no real timetable on that one yet. Uh, but going to run differential, as I said, it's a very indicator of how good you are as a team. The Dodgers are third in the league at plus 62. San Francisco is fourth in the league at plus 57, and San Diego is fifth in the league at plus 51. So really, this whole division, you can tell, is very, very dominant. These teams aren't just kind of doing this out of nowhere. They're not just winning games. They're dominating teams. They're playing very, very well, and we'll see if they can continue to play this well for the rest of the season. And uh, yeah, maybe, I mean, (laughs) if this division continues on this pace, it will probably be the, the, the... They'll probably steal every single wild card spot, I would assume. Um, I don't really see another way another NL team gets a wild card spot. I mean, you're looking at the Cubs or the Phillies having a better record than the Dodgers or the Padres at this point. Don't see it happening. Uh, so that's all for the NL West, pretty much, other than the fact that the Giants and Dodgers finally play each other for the first time this season starting tonight. Well, and I think with the, if you're the Dodgers, you probably are happy with where you're at given the injury situation. Uh, their lineup really is not recognizable. Um, they added Albert Pujols to really help them a little bit. So um, let's end that discussion of the NL West and move on to the NL Central. 
in first place, you have the St. Louis Cardinals at 25 and 18, the Chicago Cubs at 22 and 21, the Milwaukee Brewers at 21 and 22, the Cincinnati Reds at 19 and 23, and the Pirates at 18 and 25, all the way at the bottom. Uh, I said this division would be competitive all year. I'm starting to walk that back now that the Cardinals have seized control of it and have a big lead. The Cubs are on a huge winning streak and still behind in the division by three or four games. Uh, and you also have the Brewers now starting to slump a little bit. You can see their desperation is starting to come out because they just traded for Willie Adamas today. They believe that they have issues that they need to iron out, which is never what you want uh, from, from a team who's supposed to be getting to the playoffs. You never want them trading for people unless it's something like the Dodgers where it's an injury. And by the way, Albert Pujols wasn't a trade. It was a pickup. Good point. Uh, so it, it even there, that's not that's not really much of a uh, – you're not giving up anything for that. Right. You're just signing somebody, adding somebody extra to the roster. Although the Yoshi Sutsugo trade was probably a little bit of needing someone right now. But in the end, uh, the Cardinals are really seizing control of this division, as I said, and I think they'll be able to continue that. I thought they would win this division at the start of the year, and I continue to think that midway through the year. And we'll just have to see what keeps going on in that division. The Cubs still in second. I don't know if they can hold that either. Uh, the Brewers, now the most interesting thing I would say is the Brewers run differential, they are minus 20 as opposed to St. Louis's plus 20, which is ninth in the league. Look, minus 20 for one game under 500 indicates that you are not as good as a 500 team. Uh, to give another example, I believe Chicago, who is one game above, is plus 7. So that's a one-game differential and a 27-run differential. If you were to theoretically say that that indicates how much you lost that extra game by, that would mean that the Brewers lost an extra game by 27 runs. <laughs> uh, so basically what I'm trying to say here is Milwaukee looks like they're not going to keep this up. Uh, or, well, I guess they're not going to reclaim their form from the beginning of the season where they had the best record in the league for a little bit. Looks like they're going to actually keep up what they're doing right now, which is falling down further in the standings. All right, well, that uh, wraps up the NL Central. Let's move over to the NL East. Yeah, so here we have the New York Mets pitching with their minor league roster while Noah Syndergaard and Jacob deGrom strike out single-A ballers, which is just kind of rude, honestly. I don't know why they had to do the rehab assignment there. They couldn't have done it in double-A or triple-A to be a little bit nicer. Uh, it, for those of you who don't know, they, uh, Noah Syndergaard and Jacob deGrom threw back-to-back -back outings in single-A as starters. Jacob deGrom struck out eight out of nine batters uh, and gave up absolutely nothing in three innings. So it looks like he'll be coming back soon. And even with those injuries, the Mets are still in first place at 20 and 17. The Phillies are in second at 22 and 22. The Marlins are in third at 20 and 23. The Braves are still in fourth near the bottom of this division at 20 and 24. And the Nationals are in last at 17 and 23. Uh, again, this was one of the divisions that was supposed to be the most competitive heading into the year. A lot of these teams are close to 500, although having only one above, I would say, is slightly surprising, especially because these guys haven't even been beating up on each other by playing each other a lot, from my recollection. Uh, so, and the Mets were very, very hot last week, and then they cooled off after uh, losing to the Rays. They got swept by the Rays, actually, after they were on a five-game winning streak. They're now 
they've now stabilized since then, and I think they have some games against the Rockies coming up, so they'll probably boost that record a little bit in the next, uh, in the upcoming weeks and in the next few days, <laughs> pretty quickly actually, if you're playing the Rockies. But yeah, overall, it's kind of a confusing division to look at. The Marlins took a game off the Dodgers. The Braves have looked pretty awful this whole year for how good they're supposed to be and their expectations. I certainly had very, very high expectations for them. They're not living them up to them at all. Uh, and then the Nationals might just stay at the bottom of the division. But something interesting to note about this division is that the Mets, even though they're in the lead uh, with, the play, with, with three games above 500 of a record, their minus eight run differential is below league average and not good at all. And also, very oddly, Miami is plus eight, which is 10th in the league, even though they're under 500 by three games. It's, it's very, very odd. This normally doesn't, this is not normally something you would see from teams under 500 being up in the top third of the league in run differential and teams below 500 being, uh, or teams above 500 being way lower. It's really weird. You don't often see teams with winning records uh, with with sub with uh, with negative run differentials at all. So it's very rare in general. Uh, but yeah, the NL East is a really confusing division. It'll be interesting to watch all year how it goes on. Yeah, Braves to this point probably the most disappointing team in baseball. Um, yeah. Good news uh, is. Uh, well. You do have a team that was supposed American to be a top five team in the league yeah, as, as all right, the, the most, worst record in the whole entire league. So. So, all right, we'll get, yeah, we'll get the most disappointing team in the National League, let's say. But For long, the National League, absolutely. Long season, uh, strangely enough, uh, you know, they're still within striking distance. So very early, but definitely disappointing start for the Braves. Uh, that wraps up the look at the National League. Let's move over to the American League and also start in the West Division. Patrick? The... Houston Astros, I don't know why I was about to call them the Oakland Astros for a second. Something about the A's moving is getting me mixed up with the cities. Um, the Houston Astros are at the top of this division at 26-18. and 18. The A's are 26-19 in second. The Mariners, who have gotten no hit twice this season, are 21-23 and 23 in third. The Angels are in fourth at 19-25. and 25. And the Rangers are last at 19-27. and 27. Could I see this division keeping the exact same standings for the rest of the year? Possibly. It's very likely. Um, Astros A's is going to be pretty much down to the last game or two, no matter what, which is what it's down to right now. Uh, and then the Mariners and the Angels will be probably within a few games of each other at third and fourth. Although I would definitely expect the Angels to move to a few games above 500 by the end of the season and the Mariners to be, to stay a few games under, but we'll see. I mean, the Mariners had a pretty good start and then have been kind of bad since then. And the Angels have been really, really up and down depending on the week. They now have Mike Trout injured, so it's really hard to predict where they might end up. They've had Rendon injured for a while, too, and now he's back. It's They're kind of having a rotating carousel of players, kind of like the Dodgers, except for the Dodgers are consistently very, very injured. The Angels are inconsistently injured, but injured a lot. Uh, so overall, this division is, not, is, is odd, although I will say one thing that's very interesting is that while there is only one loss that separates the Astros and Oakland, Houston has a plus 66 run differential, which is second best in the league. Uh, Oakland has a minus 18 run differential, which for a team seven games above 500 is very, very odd. Uh, Most of it, I talked about it before when I first started talking about run differential. It pretty much came mostly from that 13-game winning streak after starting one and seven because they were getting killed to start the season. 
and then they were kind of scraping by during their win streak. But the reality of the situation is it's too late in the I mean, it's not late in the season. It's baseball. So 26 and 19 is only what a third or fourth of the season. But it is odd that that run differential hasn't been flattened out yet. And I guess if they if they want to keep putting themselves in the situation, I guess they can keep winning close games if they feel like it. But I bet they'd try. I bet they'd want to open those leads up a little bit more, make it make it a little easier to win some of these games, and maybe not be negative run differential, but in the playoffs. Okay, let's move to the AL Central. In the AL Central, the White Sox are twenty six and sixteen, absolutely on fire. Probably, I think the best or sorry. One game behind the San Francisco Giants for the best record in baseball. Uh, the Indians are second at 23-18. The Royals are third at 20-22. and 22. The Tigers are fourth for the second week in a row somehow at 17-26. and 26. And the Twins are still in last at 15-28. and 28. And, they, and they've allowed home runs having position players pitch because of course why not well we'll get to uh, that we'll get to that later and yeah, this, we'll get this to that one later. and this is the most disappointing team in baseball you were referring yes, to yes and th- this is the team i was referring to as the most disappointing team in baseball it's not even close uh Braves and Twins probably same relative expectations around the same place maybe you say the Braves are third fourth in the league heading into the year barely lost to the Dodgers whatever you want to say about them and then the Twins, you probably say, yeah, fifth, sixth, seventh-ish coming into the coming into the season. And, well, at least the Braves are only four games under 500, and they're not 13 games under. So the Twins have looked awful all year. It's a lot worse than the Braves have been looking, although both of them very, very, very disappointing. On the other hand, the White Sox have been very impressive. Plus 73 run differential is the best in the league. And somehow the Twins have managed to stay behind the Tigers, even though the Tigers still have the worst run differential in the entire league at minus 57. Uh, It's very strange to see a team not have the worst record in baseball with the worst run differential. Give them time. Give them time. Yes, that's true. That's true. I mean, they were only in last place a few weeks ago, so (laughs) I wouldn't put it past them to get back there. (laughs) Okay, let's wrap things up by looking at the American League East. In the AL East, you have the Red Sox. I mean, this division is stacked, by the way. I would like to say that before I even say any of these records. This this division is just crazy. Uh, this is what the NL East was supposed to be heading into the year. The AL East has the Red Sox at the top at 27-18, and 18, the Rays in second at 26-19, and 19, the Yankees in third at 25-19, and 19, the Blue Jays in fourth at 23-19, and 19, and then you have the Orioles at 17-26. Okay, so the Orioles are probably going to stay in this margin. I don't think there's anything. I don't think there's anything that can dispute that. Uh, the Yankees, if you don't know the history of it, the Yankees just for some reason, whenever they play the Orioles, they just find a way to just start uh, becoming superheroes up up at the plate, and they basically score ninety percent of their runs in a year against the Orioles. <laughs> pretty much, uh, they get. They win almost every series. They ne- they pretty much never lose a series to them. They pretty much sweep every series, too. So the Yankees like to feed off the Orioles a lot. Uh, that'll probably continue this year, to be quite honest. Um, but the most interesting thing about this division is that every team is within one game in the loss column of each other. So while it looks Except like the, the Orioles. Jays- yes, except the Orioles. Um, although it looks like the Blue Jays are far, far behind the Red Sox right now, they're really not that far back. I mean, they're four back in the win column, but only one back in the loss column. The Blue Jays could easily soar up there uh, by the end of the season. The Rays, same thing, although they just traded Willie Adamas, which means that they're going to have a prospect, I believe, is Taylor Walls playing shortstop now instead of Willie Adamas. 
So it's very interesting that you ship off a key piece like that. But look, that's what the Rays do. That's they also have three prospects in the top one twenty in baseball, uh, and they're all shortstops. So the Rays definitely have some depth at, the, at that position that they can unload. Wander Franco, actually the top prospect in all of baseball, is a shortstop, and they're not even pulling him up because they think this guy is better. So just goes to show you. Maybe we don't know what we're talking about, and maybe trading away Willie Adamas actually makes our shortstop core better. Uh, however, in the end, they're still in second place. They're only one game back. The Yankees are only a game and a half back after actually a really, really impressive road trip where they went 7-3. and three. Uh, Domingo Herman has looked very, very good after some pretty bad outings to start the, 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 to start the first two outings of the season. Uh, Corey Kluber has looked better, and we'll talk how he's looked better in a little bit. Um, and, you know, Garrett Cole is Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole had a down outing, and that was actually one of the games they lost on the road trip, which was strange. But they did play the Rangers, so let's not get too ahead of the, uh, let's not get too ahead of ourselves. It's not like they're beating amazing teams, although the same could be said of the Dodgers and everybody else in the NLS that I said was doing very well this week. But, uh, yeah, the AL East is going to be really interesting throughout the year. I don't really have a pick in this division at this point. I guess I would stick with the Yankees for the purpose of being stubborn and uh, sticking to my preseason predictions, but I, I don't know if I fully believe that they are going to win this division. Yeah, this division could be like the NL West and have the uh, the division winner and two wild cards, but we will see. That wraps up. And they will be battling, by the way, for the division title and a wild card spot right at down the same the time by yeah. the end of the season. Yeah, well, that wraps up our look at the division by uh, division doings in Major League Baseball. We're going to stay on the topic of baseball in our next segment. Uh, but move on to this feature that Patrick is calling Random Assorted Important News, or as I like to call it, RAIN. Patrick, take it away. The first one. Move aside Corbin after Corbin Burns set an MLB record for most strikeouts without a walk to start a season. That's a mouthful. Uh, last week, he extended the record to 58 strikeouts without a walk. That also became a record for the most strikeouts in a row without a walk, not just to start a season. Garrett Cole then broke the record of most strikeouts in a row without a walk, not to start the season, but in general. With three strikeouts in the first inning after allowing a leadoff double, he broke it with the 59th in a row for him and didn't stop there extending it to 61 strikeouts before issuing a walk. Congratulations, Garrett Cole. Uh, he'll be in a bunch of record books. If you don't know baseball, this guy is... Pretty, pretty good. He will be in the Hall of Fame, and he will set many, many records. So, not all too surprising. On the other hand, this one is a little bit surprising. Huascar Enoa, Huascar James, LeBron Enoa, I don't know what to call it, but the Braves pitcher, Huascar Enoa, uh, is now on the 10-day IL, although it seems like it's going to be a lot longer than that, um, after breaking his hand while punching a bench in the dugout uh, <laughs> in frustration after getting pulled from a start. So if anybody under, doesn't understand why I'm putting LeBron's name attached to him, uh, LeBron in the in the finals against the Golden State Warriors punched through a whiteboard and played, and played the remainder of a series with a broken hand and still scored 50 points twice. Uh, but he kept it a secret the whole time, although Oscar Noah can't do that in the middle of the regular season. He's expected to miss a couple of months, so I don't know what the 10-day IL is about. I guess they're going to put him on it five different times instead of putting him on the 60-day IL just for the flexibility, just in case. But a pretty bad injury, although it's not the first in baseball of random injuries. I remember Matt Cain a few years ago uh, cut his hand while making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and had to get surgery on his finger and couldn't play for about two months. 
So baseball players are not exactly uh, exempt from random injuries. Somebody yeah. tore their ACL last year stepping on home plate in the, in the spring training game. I think some guy strained his oblique sneezing or something. Baseball players have yeah, the somebody, most. Somebody had a back issue by by. Yeah, yes, baseball yes. players have the and most I think random Yoenis issues. Cespedes actually injured himself and retired after having an injury at a party, I believe. <laughs> so I, I don't want to get that wrong though. So don't quote me. On uh, on the other hand, in good news, Spencer Turnbull of the Detroit Tigers threw a no-hitter on Tuesday. It was the eighth no-hitter in Tigers history, and he's just the sixth pitcher in Tigers franchise history to throw a no-no. Uh, Justin Verlander threw, one, threw two in 2007 and 2011, and Virgil Trucks threw two in 1952. Congratulations I, to Virgil. Never heard of that. I, I think I actually have a, I might have a Virgil Trucks baseball card. I, I did grow up in Detroit. <laughs> so I, anyway, keep going. Lo, so local legend are, Virgil Trucks. So those two have both thrown two no-hitters. But on the receiving end of the no-hitter uh, were the Seattle Mariners, who have had two no-hitters thrown against them so far this season. Uh, they were no-hit already in May by John Means, just literally 13 days before this. Uh, the Mariners had not been no-hit no twice, as I said, which would be rare if they happened in the same season, but they have actually happened twice in the same month now. Uh, not to mention they were no-hit by two teams who have not made the playoffs in five-plus years. Uh, and by one pitcher who was 9-25 and before this game and had the worst winning percentage in, among starting pitchers in baseball over the last four years to still be on the team this year, uh, that being Spencer Turnbull. This season was the second season with five no-hitters before June in MLB history. The only other one was 1917. Uh, and then the very next day, Yankees starter Corey Kluber threw the sixth no-hitter of the season against the Texas Rangers on Corey Kluber bobblehead night in Texas. And if you're confused on why that happened, uh, long story short, he got he got traded or acquired uh, by the Rangers in the offseason last year, and then they made bobbleheads for him because he was supposed to be a big acquisition. He only pitched 18 pitches and uh, only one or two innings, I believe, and also there were no fans last year, so you don't make bobbleheads for empty seats. Uh, but they had the bobbleheads made, never got to use them, so they said if he ever comes back here, we'll just use the bobbleheads when he plays against us. So they gave out Corey Kluber bobbleheads while he threw a no-hitter against them. Uh, these no-hitters are crazy, and it's also crazy because Cleveland, Texas, and Seattle are the only teams to be no-hit, despite there being six no-hitters. They have each evenly taken two no-hitters, uh, also all teams in the American League, which is very, very interesting considering that pitchers don't even hit in the American League. It's, it's strange that the National League doesn't have all the no-hitters because that's where you have all the pitchers hitting. you got pretty much three free outs throughout the game, two or three free outs th throughout the game. Uh, overall, people have been making arguments about if it's good or not for baseball, but I personally think they're fun to watch, but what it means, uh, kind of as a, what, what happens in turn as a result of a bunch of no hitters, meaning not a lot of hits in general is bad. Yeah. I think it also relates back to your first point about most consecutive strikeouts. There's just baseball seems to be a lot of strikeouts, um, and a lot of home runs and maybe, uh, the two are, are related to each other. Players are going for home runs, and they're striking out a lot, which means there's a lot less hits and more propensity for no-hitters. Although I will say, Corbin Burns and Garrett Cole, I mean, Corbin Burns yep. throws two different fastballs that are 98 or above, and Garrett Cole throws 100, so it's not really that easy to hit off of these guys, and everybody's getting better. However, those are not the guys with the no-hitters. Those are just the guys with the strikeouts. True, true. All right, well, that, that, that's, uh, that part of rain, I think the last thing really from you is not rain, We've talked a little about this. I think 
I should have an acronym for this. It's called RANT, but go ahead, Patrick. Fire Tony LaRusso. See, it's a rant. Uh, what he said about Yerman Marchetti's is awful. Sorry if I mispronounced that name. There's about seven different ty- seven different ways you can pronounce the three different E's in Marchetti's. Um, I believe that Tony LaRusso will cause controversy in the later stages of the season, and it will derail this team's progress. I would pick them as a World Series team if it weren't for Tony. I'm gonna be completely honest about that. Uh, my preseason pick was the Yankees, and I'm going and I'm sticking with that for now. If you want to have a midseason check in with me, I still have the Dodgers and the Yankees, by the way. Um, mostly because I'm incredibly stubborn. Uh, but I would say that the White Sox, I would pick them. However, some of it is some hesitancy due to some injuries that they're dealing with. But the main thing is Tony Larusa. Well, I what did he say? Going, for those who don't know, so. Tony Larusa after Yerman Marchetti's, uh, well, here, I'll, I'll explain the situation in full. Unwritten rules in baseball exist where most casual fans don't know about this, but there are certain things you're not supposed to do for one reason or another, most of them actually having no reason, to be quite honest. Uh, they're just old people things. Professional uh, courtesy. Sure, sportsmanship. Yeah. Which sportsmanship is actually not giving up and not trying to play as hard as you can. But anyway, baseball fans have sportsmanship de- defined completely incorrectly. Um, unwritten rules stop the game from growing, and they hurt the sport more than sport more than they help it. If you don't want to get a home run to hit off of you down in the ninth inning, down fifteen to four, then don't throw out a utility man who throws forty miles per hour. If you don't understand what that means, uh, basically the Twins, who we talked about this earlier, uh, you you joked about it a lot. Um, Willens Astudio, a utility man for the Twins came out to pitch earlier in the season. He actually pitched one scoreless inning against the Angels. Uh, so clearly he's a lethal pitcher. you got to try against this guy. But down 15-4, the Twins didn't want to use any other pitchers. On a 3-0 count, he threw a, I don't know, 40, I think it was 47 mile per hour. I don't even know what you want to call it. I guess it's technically a fastball. Meatball. A meatball. It's kind of a curveball. I don't think it really has spin on it, though, so you can't really call it a curveball. And Yerman Mercedes hit it uh, probably about 430 feet above the center field wall. Uh, everybody's complaining that he hit it. Uh, his manager, Tony LaRussa, said that he wasn't supposed to do that, said that that was bad. And when asked if he was surprised after the Twins intentionally threw it, Yerman the next day, he said, no, I'm not surprised. And frankly, I endorse it pretty much. Uh, in short, not a direct quote, but that's almost what he said. But look, to me, the equation is simple. The philosophy is hypocritical, and baseball purists are the most unbearable sports fans in existence. You've talked so much about Alabama fans, but you have failed to mention baseball purists. Because at least Alabama fans enjoy success. Baseball purists don't enjoy people hitting 430 feet home runs. I don't understand why you wouldn't enjoy that. And also, the way that baseball works, and yes, you're right, this is a complete and total rant, uh, if you don't know, rookie contracts, they go to this thing called arbitration afterwards where you get your next contract based off of stats. So Yerman, who is on a rookie contract, wants to hit as well as possible. And by the way, he is league in the league and average, so he doesn't really need to pad his stats anymore. But he wants as many home runs, as many hits as possible. He's not going to take a walk because, frankly, a walk could cost him $1,500 off his, off his contract next year. So if you have a guy throwing 50 More than 1500 Yeah, more than that. But if you have a guy out there throwing, a th- throwing 47 miles per hour... Of course you're going to crush a home run off of him on your contract money that uh, depends on it. If you're Mike Trout and you're already signed for 12 years, I can see why you could say, okay, well, he doesn't need it, but it's not like he has contract incentives for anything like that. But when it relies on it, you you got to do what's best for you. And also, 
You get paid to play baseball to hit home runs. I don't understand why you wouldn't be hitting home runs at any at any point. That's kind of the point of the game. So, point being, unwritten rules are stupid. And the unwritten rule here are, being, you don't swing at a 3-0 pitch when you're leading by 11 runs in the ninth inning and a utility man's on the mound. Well, although Fernando Tatis did it last year in a game where they were only leading by six, and people said that the game was already out of reach, which just isn't true. I mean, the Dodgers had a six-run inning in the eighth two weeks ago. Anybody can score six runs in an inning. It's not that hard. Well, it is hard, but it's not It's not impossible. So he hit one last year. He, he hit a grand slam on a 3-0 pitch, and everybody went crazy about it. And uh, everybody's wrong for it because the fact of the matter is a home run's a home run. Uh, if you're asking a hitter not to hit a home run, then you might as well ask a basketball player to airball on purpose. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's stupid, and the home run's exciting. And if you're gonna if you're gonna concede the game by throwing somebody who throws slower than a little leaguer out there you to the mound, you should be prepared to, to get bombed. To, yeah, you should. Be, yeah, I mean, you they're lucky to concede yeah. a bunch of home runs if that's what you're throwing yeah, them out you, there. You, you've already what? you've already waved the red white flag. You've already said I surrender. We're gonna throw this guy out here. We don't care about how many runs we give up. It's hip, I, I agree with you. It's hypocritical. The only thing I disagree with you about though is that baseball purists are not the unbearable sports fans and ex- most unbearable sports fans in existence. American soccer fans are who go watch major league soccer. Like at least go watch the real stuff. Uh, it's a boring game. It's the, it's like being a, you know, a diehard minor single a baseball fan. So there we go. I, I would like to add really quickly after, I mean, I can't really follow up that one, but um, there are a lot of players who have spoke out about this. Uh, Lance Lynn also spoke out about it, who is a pitcher on the white Sox. Um, and after his comments, Tony La Russa said basically in support of Yerman, Tony La Russa said, well, that's why I have an office and you have a locker. And to that, I say, that's why he makes $40 million and you make less than four. Lance Lynn. So uh, Tony La Russa tried to call out Lance Lynn by saying, oh, my office, I have an office. You have a locker. And Lance Lynn, like you said, makes $25 yeah, million. Yeah, I have a year. mansion and you have a shack. So I would also like to mention Trevor Bauer, same thing. Uh, he's had the same stance about that for forever. He had the same stance about it when Tatis did it last year. Alex Wood said, if there's a position player pitching, and I think this is the best quote, to sum it all up, if there's a position player pitching in a big league game, all quote-unquote rules are out the window, in my honest opinion. Plus, do y'all realize how hard that is to launch a 49, which it was 47, mile per hour pitch, 400 feet, LOL, question mark, give the people what they want. Uh, thank you to Alex Wood. I mean, obviously, he former Dodger, now a giant, an arch rival of our team, but hey, good quote. Exactly. And on that note, we're going to end this week's reign. And we are going to move to the NBA and take a look at predictions for the NBA playoffs. Patrick, let's start in the East. Yep, in the East you have Philadelphia against the Washington Wizards. That's the one versus eight. Look, I don't want to talk too much about this. Um, the one thing that you can rely on in the series that is that Russell Westbrook will get his team to the playoffs. Uh, what happens once he's there, you can rely that he won't win the finals is something you could say, although I don't think that's very fair to Russ. Um, but look, they're not, they're, they're not going very far. Agreed. Uh, Philadelphia next. is going to win this series. Agreed. Next. Uh, do we even need to talk about this next matchup? Uh, yeah. Brooklyn Celtics, Brooklyn wins done. Agreed. Next. Probably in a four game <laughs> sweep. Uh, by the way, let's put, I'll put some games on it. I'd say Philly wins in five games. I'd say I I get I could give Washington six on if they get one if they get an extra good day out of it, uh I, it'll end up in the five to six region though I don't think there's any way they're getting taken the seven games, uh Brooklyn that's a sweep 
That that's just a sweep. I have nothing else to say about that. Brooklyn's going to sweep Boston. All right, three six uh, matchup. Barring barring one barring one Jason Tatum sixty point game, Brooklyn sweeps Boston. Uh, three six matchup. Here's an interesting series. Milwaukee against Miami, who Miami won this series actually last year in the bubble in five games or six games. I don't know why I didn't check that in between last podcast and now, but I do believe it was six games. Uh, I think they flip the tables this year. I think that Milwaukee ends up with the win. I think that they're going to do it in six or seven games, though, and if I had to put a number on it, for the sake of being interesting and for the reason that I had Miami winning the series when we talked about this last, I'm going to say seven games because... I really do believe that Miami has a gear that they can kick it into to beat anybody. And frankly, they were probably an injury or two away from taking the Lakers to seven games last year. Why would I not believe in them to take the Bucks to seven? I, I do believe in them. So I'm not going to give them the series, but I am going to say they'll keep it to seven games. They will take it all the way there. Uh, Milwaukee in six. Right. Let's go to the four or five matchup. Now, this one's intriguing, although I would say this one's going to seven games Agreed. for sure. But I, I, I think... It's one of those series where it's going to be close, but you still know who's the winner. Uh, I think New York wins this pretty easily, although I guess seven games can't really be easy. It's not like going to be like the Brooklyn series where they probably kill Boston in every single game. Uh, not to be rude to Boston fans out there, but you're just outmatched entirely. If, it, if, it, if Jalen Brown was there, maybe they'd get a game or two, but not with this roster. Um, however, the Knicks play so well on defense. Uh, Nate McMillan already got fined before the series even started, uh, complaining about refs already, even though they <laughs> haven't even played a game, which just goes to show you just what the Knicks are doing. Um, and what people don't like to see physical brands of defense because nobody plays it anymore, and they're not used to seeing it anymore. Uh, the Knicks remind me a lot. They're not as good, but they remind me a lot of the of the Detroit Pistons team that won the NBA Finals just off of defense in, in, I think, 2005, 2006. I think you can fact check me on that one, but about that time, they really remind me of that team, just a strong, bruising team. They like to play ridiculously tough defense, and pretty much all they do is play defense. I mean, they're 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 pretty productive on offense, but Julius Randle is carrying the load. I don't think I, I was ever expecting to say that sentence. Um, so just goes to show you, the Knicks. I think they got. I think they got enough on on offense, just enough to squeak by the Hawks. I think the Hawks will have a few games where Trey Young goes off, and they win a few games off of it, and then one game where it's probably pretty close, and they they end up being the ones making the last shot. But I'll take the Knicks overall in seven games. All right, just to be, di- I agree, seven games. Just to be different, I'll pick the Hawks. So you have all chalk in the East. Are you gonna predict some upsets in the West? Let's start with the first, uh, the number one seed Utah against who knows. Yes, for now it's Warriors uh, against Grizzlies. We are recording this actually while that game is going on. Uh, the Warriors were thirty nine and thirty three on the season. The Grizzlies were thirty eight and thirty four. They had a few close games in the season series this year. This game is currently close right now. Who knows who's going to win this game? Uh, but uh, the reason why we didn't wait until the end of this is I don't care who they're playing. Utah is better than any of the teams that they would play. Agree. Uh, so I think I will say if it's against the Warriors. I would say it's possible the Warriors go to six games. I would say that. The Grizzlies, I would give them a maximum of winning one game in the series. Um, if I had to give an honest, true, hot take prediction, I'd say Utah sweeps the Grizzlies and they beat the Warriors in five. So you took, I mean, literally, did you read my script? That's exactly what I was going to say, <laughs> honestly. And you know more about the NBA than I do, so I, I you know, thank you for validating uh, some of my thoughts. All right, let's move to the... Uh, the next game, uh, the next series, 
Number two, Phoenix versus number seven, Lakers. All right, you want me to pick upsets? Here we go. Yes, I did. Lakers in five. I said it. I said it every single series of last year, and they won every single series in five games, except for the NBA Finals. So until proven otherwise, Lakers in five. All right, I'm gonna go with a surprise pick to many here. I'm gonna say Phoenix in six. In six. Phoenix in six. Not happening. Not happening. LeBron does not lose in the first round in six games. Not gonna happen. Okay. Well, like I said, I don't know anything about the NBA, so let's move to the next <laughs> matchup. Uh, yeah, Denver, the number three seed against Portland, the number six seed. Uh, give me Jamal Murray, and I say Denver wins in seven. But Jamal Murray is out, so Portland in seven. Wow. I mean, uh, I'm taking Denver in seven. I, I don't see Portland winning this series. I think Denver will figure out a way uh, to, to win. But again, I don't I'll know. Give you, I'll give you two words. Or two words and a, and a little bit. Dame of time. No, two words and a little bit of an abbreviation. Dame versus Faku. Done. Well, careful what you say there. Okay, let's move to the last <laughs> the last matchup in the West, the 4-5 series. Okay, the Clippers, as we said, they completely tanked so that they didn't play the Lakers, and they got what they wanted. I really felt like for the narrative, just picking Dallas, that I could have every single uh, series except for the Warriors one being upset. I really, really considered it. Um, but in the end... I'm gonna keep. I, I'm gonna pick the Clippers. I'm not gonna go too crazy here. Although, just off of the revenge factor, look, this series was close last year, and frankly, uh, Dallas was a soft referee uh, giving two technicals to Kristaps Porzingis and Kristaps Porzingis's ankle not blowing out from taking the series to seven games or maybe even winning it. Um, so overall, I think this is gonna be a good series. I think it's gonna be a lot better. I actually don't know why the Clippers really tanked to get to them. I think the Clippers would be able to beat beat Portland easier than they're going to beat Dallas. But also give the Clippers a series. I'll say seven games. But if Chris Tapsporzingis gets ejected by the same ref again, then it'll go down in six. I'd say Clippers in seven. So I agree. And that will wrap up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please join us for our next podcast, which will be on Monday, May 24th where we will have our weekly look back at the latest NBA action, including we will talk about yeah, a bunch, the, bunch, of, the bunch of these playoff, playoff games. games. Each one probably, of the, I would assume that there will be a few buzzer beaters, uh, some craziness that's going on. By the way, I would like to shout out LeBron for not being able to see and seeing three rims and still making a Dame range uh, from the Staples Center logo shot. Pretty ridiculous. Um, as Steph Curry makes a shot from the Chase Center logo uh, on the TV right now. So, uh, okay, maybe he's being a little bit one-upped. But, yes. Uh, so there will be a lot of action that we can go so, over. So we'll go in depth into the uh, eight playoff games that that will happen on Saturday and Sunday. Um, we'll also take a look at the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions. In the meantime, as always, be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his Major League Baseball power rankings, where I think he has the Minnesota Twins number six. Kidding. Uh, on our website, fourthand24.com. That's the number four, T H A N D, the number twenty-four.com. Thank you for listening.